Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Well, strangers, it's September. The air grows crisp. The pumpkin spice lattes are a-brewing. Halloween decorations have filled the shelves of every self-respecting retail outlet in America. And our minds have turned to all the autumnal favorites. Cool evenings, cozy cardigans, and cryptids. Well, fine. We suppose cryptids don't technically have a season if you're being pedantic. But let's be real. When the wind gets a chill and the pumpkins hit the front porch, it's just easier to believe in, say, a man-like moth or a moth-like man portending doom in West Virginia. We at One Strange Thing neither officially endorse nor deny the existence of any particular cryptid. But there are certainly stories that we find, well, more intriguing than others. And there's one from Arkansas that we've been meaning to tell you about for a long time. Now that we're settling down into fall, well, there's no better time than the present. Falk, Arkansas. By the way, that's spelled F-O-U-K-E. This is a family-friendly podcast. It's a tiny little town in Miller County, Texarkana. When we say tiny, we mean a population under 900. Now, sometimes Falk is mistakenly called Boggy Creek by outsiders. We'll get to that in a minute. But the creek itself is a geographical feature that runs through the area. The naming confusion lies in the town's claim to fame, a horror movie, The Legend of Boggy Creek, starring the Boggy Creek Monster, a cryptid that the locals know as the Falk Monster. This 1972 schlock horror classic was made for less than $100,000 and made over $20 million, a pretty tidy sum for a creature feature. According to the Tallahassee Democrat, the movie was a bit of a town affair. The businesses played up the Boggy Creek connection with various tour spots like the Boggy Creek Cafe and the Monster Mart. 
And just what is the creature that generated all this buzz? Though sightings have led to various descriptions, asking for a general idea will get you this. Imagine Bigfoot, but a lot hairier. We're talking long, black hair. Maybe fur, but hair is the word that everyone uses, and that certainly evokes a specific kind of visual. Add some shining red eyes and a foul stench, a height between 7 and 10 feet, and a breadth of about two college linebackers. Weight estimates tend to range wildly, between 500 and 800 pounds. We kind of think people were just making up numbers that sounded impressive, but hey, we're impressed, so it worked. The Falk Monster is said to be primate-ish, with enormous feet, which, you know, not really a surprise there. And unlike the usual Bigfoots you've heard about, shy, reclusive, stubbornly refusing to leave helpful fur or poop behind, this monster is apparently aggressive. Or, at least, it was for a time, long enough, at least, to make it famous. And how did all this get started? Well, it depends on who you ask. Because the monster has made more than one appearance in the Texarkana area, under various monikers. The creature those on the Texan side of the border call it, not the most inventive name, you must admit, although please don't tell Stephen King that we said that, was the Falk monster by another name. According to a Texas paper of the Times, it had been known to travel the Texarkana region, quote, for some 20 years in various spots from Jefferson, Texas to Falk, Arkansas. Arkansans, of course, seem to prefer the Falk moniker. Whichever one you go with, those 20 or so years of sightings that the paper referenced, they had been uneventful. In fact, a reporter described it as shy. That was, at least, up until 1965, when an East Texas adolescent reported a run-in with a very grumpy, very hairy creature. Johnny Maples, who, by the way, has the perfect name for this kind of thing, had been walking down a rural road in a heavily thicketed area of Jefferson when he heard something in the bushes. He told the Times that he tossed a rock toward the sound, as one does, we guess. Then, a huge, shambling creature appeared from the darkness of the overgrowth. It made its way into a sightline, separated from him only by a fence. Johnny described it as large, seven feet tall, quote, covered in long black hair, and primate-like, with, quote, long arms that hung down below its knees. And as an aside here, in two different columns, the Times reporter is careful to emphasize that the creature was not wearing any clothes, which is good to know, we guess. Johnny told reporters, quote, As soon as I turned to run, the huge creature started climbing over a fence and started running after. After I'd run a long ways, one of my shoes came loose, and I had to stop and take my shoes off so I could run faster. Johnny's mother was, as you might imagine, pretty horrified when he arrived home. His feet were torn to shreds from the highway pavement, and she told the Times that he was in a, quote, state of shock. Per the Times, when local law enforcement went out to investigate, they did not find any giant, terrifying creatures covered in black hair or otherwise. But there was one piece of evidence. 
a very strange footprint found under a bridge near a place where Johnny had his encounter. It was described as, quote, about eight inches in length and four inches across, and not resembling that of a human or any type of animal normally found in the area. Cast of prints with six toes that honestly looked more like fingers were made. The Times also reported that, quote, two stacks of neatly folded clothes were found nearby, which could mean a lot of things, not the least of which is that that monster could have gotten dressed if it had really wanted to. It seems local reaction was mixed. Some Jeffersonians told the Times they were loath to buy into monster hype. Others, well, they went looking for the creature. One woman, a Mrs. Manning, even decided to try and entice it. Her plan involved leaving a bag of pears behind the local cemetery, and then just kind of waiting around and listening to see what happened. And, well, she told the Times that after she placed the fruit, the creature conveniently showed up to eat it. Now, though she was there on a stakeout, she didn't see this. She heard it. Mrs. Manning said, The growls were long and low, with a snort or blow at the end of each one. It growled three times, and by the end of the third, my daughter and my friend and I were in the car. And how did she know that it was actually the monster and not just some run-of-the-mill, pear-loving wildlife? Simple. When she checked the next day, the bag of pears was gone. Airtight evidence. Though there was some mysterious talk of, quote, trappers in the area claiming to have leads that they couldn't, quote, divulge at the moment, and locals made noise about going out and hunting the thing, it seems that monster fever died down in Texarkana that same year. It wouldn't pick up again until 1971, this time in Falk, about an hour north and over the Arkansas state line. And the tone there would be markedly different, at least at first. It, the monster, wasn't running away this time. In fact, it would be making a house call and assuming its rightful place as the Falk Monster. According to a May 3, 1971 Shreveport Journal article, two young couples had just moved into a house in Falk. One of those couples, Mr. and Mrs. Bobby Ford, would become the unwilling stars of their own private horror movie. Just a note here, Author Lyle Blackburn also covered this story in his books, and based on his interviews, the journalist who covered this story in the 70s may have mixed up some details regarding who was actually married to whom in the little house. But we'll stick with the news coverage because hmm, that's kind of our shtick. Moving on. One evening, Mrs. Ford was lying on their couch near an open window. Per the Mejia News, she said, I saw the curtain moving in the front window and saw a hand sticking through the window. At first I thought it was a bear's paw, but it didn't look like that. It had heavy hair all over it, and it had claws. I could see its eyes. They looked like coals of fire, real red. It didn't make any noise, except that you could hear it breathing. Per the Shreveport Journal, Mrs. Ford's screams roused the house and brought them running. They ran out to the porch to investigate and saw, quote, the creature in a wooded area behind the house. The Times reported that one of the men shot at the monster, 
they weren't sure if they hid it. They called the local law enforcement, who couldn't turn up anything in the search. According to the Mejia News, local police had a theory. This animal, a panther or a bear or whatever, had set up its den underneath the Ford's new rental house, and it was letting them know what it thought of their occupation. That would normally be the end of this sort of story, but strangers, not on that night. Just a little while after the officers left, there was a sound at the back of the house. The Fords told reporters that they saw the back door come crashing in, and there it was. The creature, showing back up Michael Myers style, framed in the doorway. Bobby Ford's brother Don still had the shotgun hanging around. Good thinking, Don, and he fired off a shot. He must have hit the monster because it fell back into the darkness. And as any horror movie aficionado would expect, they immediately lost sight of the creature and assumed it was taken care of. Gentle listeners, it was not. Bobby Ford went outside to make sure because, well, of course he did. According to the Times, he had just turned to head back up the front stairs when long, clawed hands or paws, we suppose, grabbed him from behind. Bobby was being pulled backward toward the dark woods and who knows what fate. With a sudden burst of energy, Bobby hurled himself forward up the stairs and, we kid you not, straight through the front door. As you might imagine, Bobby was treated at a nearby hospital both for scratches on his arms and, we must assume, door-related injuries. Mrs. Ford told the Times that when Bobby ran in, he was out of his head with fear and, likely, a concussion. In any case, police were soon out searching for evidence of just what this creature could have been. According to the Shreveport Journal, a constable examined the home and, quote, turned up several large footprints and what appeared to be claw marks or scratches on the front porch. Per the Times, local police's working theory was that a panther might be to blame, which sounds pretty terrifying if you ask us, but plenty of townsfolk had other things in mind. According to the Shreveport Journal, Miller County Sheriff Leslie Greer had to issue a warning to monster hunters that, quote, they'd better leave their guns and liquor at home. Apparently, he'd caught wind of a plan concocted by a group of high schoolers who'd plotted to go and search right by the Ford's house. Sheriff Greer told the paper, anyone caught with a gun better have a better excuse than hunting. Apparently, the Ford's property had been besieged by sightseers, both armed and unarmed, for days. The couple were not planning to hang around and see if the creature made a reappearance. Bobby Ford told the Longville News Journal that though they'd lived in the house less than a week, they were moving out immediately. A man can't live with his family in a house where animals stick their paws through windows. So the Fords might have been done with the monster, but the rest of Falk was just warming up. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage 
all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences. They tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to win The Price is Right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring firsthand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like wherever you get your podcasts. On May 24th, another sighting was reported, this time by three people driving back together from Louisiana. Per the Courier News, Mr. and Mrs. D.C. Woods Jr. and Mrs. R.H. Settis were driving late at night on Highway 71. All three claimed to have seen, quote, a large hairy creature cross 71 right in front of their car. Mr. Woods claimed, It was really moving fast across that highway, faster than a man. Its arms were swinging like a monkey. That thing didn't act like it even noticed us. It didn't look at the car. As for his wife, she confessed that she hadn't even believed the story of the attack on the Fords. She said, now I know it's true. And as for Mrs. R.H. Settis, we have no idea. She was apparently too shocked to provide a quote for this particular story. It's hard, based on the newspapers, to say what came next. Was it the rewards or the footprints? Did one inspire the other. As far as we're concerned, the answers to all questions are yes. According to various news reports, reward money came in from several sources. First, there was $200 offered by a man named Raymond Scoggins, who told the Hope Star newspaper that, I believe in the monster. I want to preserve it in a zoo or wherever it belongs. I want to discourage the killing of it. He set a December 31st deadline for all hopefuls. Then, according to the Baxter Bulletin, radio station KAAY upped the ante by over $1,000. So with plenty of reward money, people were highly motivated when the first new footprints showed up, according to the Baxter Bulletin, right next to a local soybean field. In the aftermath of the attacks on the Fords, there hadn't been many details as to what the footprints looked like. But these additional bits of evidence were, well, odd. If you'll recall, the prints that turned up in East Texas looked like six-fingered hands. But the Baxter Bulletin describes the new set as three-toed and 13 inches long. Once they'd made their appearance and been cast in plaster and shown around town, the mysterious footprints began to crop up in other spots. This was exciting news to would-be reward hunters, but it further convinced others that the entire thing, 
starting with the Ford story and moving on had been a hoax. The Odessa American interviewed Dr. Frank Shambaugh, a professor of archaeology at Southern Arkansas University. He'd watched the whole saga from the start, and he was very unimpressed. He told the paper, There's never been any question in my mind that it was always a hoax. The town's mayor, Virgil Roberts, would agree. I'm convinced beyond any reasonable doubt that it was a man-made track, he said. I feel like somebody was out there with stilts on. When I was a boy, we called them Tom Walkers. Still, his wife made 5,000 plaster cast copies of this footprint over the years, and the town made a tidy profit on selling them. Though no one ever produced a monster for poor Raymond Scoggins, all the hoopla did attract the attention of a movie producer. So, perhaps all the hype around the silly footprint wasn't so bad after all. It even inspired the JCs, you know, John Wayne Gacy's favorite social club, to offer a third reward, $10,000, to whoever would produce the Beast. According to the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, the deadline for this bounty was moved a number of times because, quote, several persons indicated they were close to capturing the monster. Then, there was a call from a man who said he'd actually managed the feat. But, when questioned, he indicated that he had the monster in a, quote, quart-sized jar at his office. So, probably not a seven-foot-tall, 500-pound, red-eyed hell beast covered in hair. As with all things, eventually, sighting settled down some. Though, according to author Lyle Blackburn, there has been a steady trickle throughout the years, and Falk Monster economy versus Falk Monster capture became the town's focus. It seems that most discount the story of this cryptid. The only evidence, the footprints, seeming too bizarre, too inconsistent, too wholly unprimate to be real evidence. And the stories? Well, that was a craze. And crazes always come in waves, right? Well, sure. Except for one strange thing. Though critics have dismissed the Falk monster as an invention of a combination of a few factors. An attack by a wild animal conflated with a cryptid sighting. False evidence planted by tricksters. A more recent fabrication dating back a decade or two and a movie that created vivid imagery folks could really sink their teeth into. Truth is, stories of an ape-like creature covered in long black hair have popped up long before 1971. In fact, they predate the earliest cases of monster fever in Texarkana. As cryptozoologist Lyle Blackburn points out in Boggy Creek Casebook, both local newspapers and the 1972 movie create the impression that, at most, the legend of the creature dates back to a few scattered sightings from the 40s and 50s and that the first major event occurred in 1971. But that's not the case. Per Blackburn and the Victoria Advocate newspaper, the earliest report on record seems to date to 1908. That story originates with a lifelong Falk resident named Willie Smith. In 1971, 
he told a story about his sister Kate, who reported a sighting of a quote, hairy, man-like animal watching her from behind some bushes in a rural area outside town. That happened in their childhood at the turn of the 20th century. And in 1916, Lyle Blackburn found a report of a sighting that, while farther away, had a connection because it happened along a waterway that fed Boggy Creek, Texas's Sulphur River. A couple in a wagon pulled by mules was startled by a beast, quote, taller than a man and covered in long dark hair that walked slowly toward them like a man. The couple fired their gun to frighten it off, which worked, but almost sent their mules and wagon careening off the road. And Lyle Blackburn found one more incident predating the 1950s. A family living just south of Falk who'd had a daytime encounter in 1931. A man walked out on his porch and was surprised to see a large, hairy, man-like animal staring right back at him. The creature looked at him curiously and then headed back into the woods. What's most interesting to us is that though these sightings weren't too far from each other, they weren't all in the same town or reported in a single paper or compiled as unified legend. It's likely the people involved never heard the other stories about their monster at all. We're not saying it's true, but whoever said that a few footprints placed by pranksters can discount other, older stories. Couldn't there be both lines of truth and lines of fiction running concurrently underneath that creek, feeding the legend? Maybe the monster watched those pranksters teeter around on their stilts, making prints in the mud, and wondered what the silly humans were up to this time. Even the police's theory of that animal den story it could still work. Just sub in a cryptid for a wayward panther, and you've got a perfectly weird tale. Oh, come on. It's fun to consider. After all, it is cryptid spice season. Let's get in the spirit of things, shall we? We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, you'll get ad-free releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, and plenty of other fun content. All for five bucks a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.